BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey folks, today's show is brought to you in part by Omaha Steaks. Make your house your favorite new restaurant this spring with Omaha Steaks delivered straight to your door. You ever wondered what makes Omaha Steaks so damn good? Well, of course, I've got the answer for you. It's the aging process. Omaha Steaks are aged at least 21 days, and that's where all the magic happens. Try these mouth-watering steaks in the Butcher's Best Sellers package. Go to omahasteaks.com, enter the promo code VOICES into the search bar to save over 50% and secure exclusive pricing. Included in the Butcher's Best Best sellers package are four iconic fork tender butcher cut filet mignons, four ultra juicy burgers, four savory pork chops, four kielbasa sausages, four rich and decadent caramel apple tartlets, my favorite thing in the world, and so much more. In addition to getting more than 50% off, you also get four more chicken breasts and four more of those delicious burgers for free. All you have to do is visit omahasteaks.com, type voices into the search bar to order the Butcher's Best Sellers package today. Save over 50%, plus get four free chicken breasts and four burgers for free, all from the company that's been bringing people together for over 100 years. That's omahasteaks.com, type voices into the search bar. And now, let the cartoons begin. Recorded live in the USA and covering the whole wide world. Right on! This is the Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, March 24, 2021, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. My guest today is practically a household name. The great John Melendez is here today, Stuttering John, as he calls himself. You might know John from his legendary role as a cast member on the old Howard Stern radio show. And, of course, there was John's brief gig as the producer of the Stephanie Miller Show. Today, John's the host of the Stuttering John podcast, available everywhere you get your podcasts and at patreon.com slash stutteringjohn. Today, we'll talk about John's time with Howard and John's transition into becoming a popular liberal podcaster. Meanwhile, if you like what you hear today, don't forget to subscribe to our bonus content at patreon.com slash Show. Okay, let's catch up with John Melendez. You know, I know exactly what you're talking about when you're doing your show. I, uh, I'm just like you. We're both like one-man bands, right? You do all of your yeah. own booking and all of the production and everything like that. Yeah, it's a, it's a real challenge, isn't it? Yeah, I got, I mean, the guest, I mean, getting guests is not the easiest thing in the world. No. You know, I mean. Especially when I'm, you know, you know, I'm trying to book congressmen, congresswomen. I mean, I've been very successful at it, but it's not, you know, it's not it's, it's not a walk in the park. Do you find a lot of people know who you are from the Stern show or from the Tonight Show when you contact them to be on your show? Yeah, that's I mean, that's why I'm afforded that luxury, because 
even the congressmen and congresswomen seem to have known me from the Stern show. So they, <laughs> you know, so I have like an advantage, you know, in that respect. When they say they know you from the Stern show, th- that could go either way. That could be a really, really good thing. Or that could be like, oh, shit, I don't want to touch this guy. Get him well, out yeah, of here. That's why. Yeah. And that's exactly right. And that's why I think there are some that I like Hakeem Jeffries. I've been un- unable to book. And, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I get. I get the runaround every time I try, you know. So, as you might know, I also started in radio as an intern working for a nationally syndicated radio show. In my case, the Don and Mike show, which was also distributed by Infinity Broadcasting. And, in fact, uh, I worked at the same radio station where the late G. Gordon Liddy hosted his show. So, I've been thinking a lot about what it was like to do that job. The, the same job you had when you originally started on the Stern show. So, let's talk about that. Uh, first, how did you become interested in a career in radio in the first place? Was there some sort of thing that said, oh yeah, look, that radio thing, I want to do that. That looks like a, a great career path. Was there a moment for you that made you realize that you wanted to do broadcasting for a living? I never wanted to be in radio. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I, I was at NYU for film and television. Yeah. I, I was a fan of the Howard Stern show and I knew that because my friend at the time was Mitch Fatel, he was a me, he was a stand up comic and he was interning for Howard. So I knew that, you know, doing those interviews was like right up my alley because I've been mm-hmm. doing those interviews like all my life, you know. So I just, I, I, you know, I said to Mitch, if you, you know, if you're ever going to leave, please hook me up and thank God he got into a major car accident and couldn't <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> and, and he totaled his car. So, and his dad was kind of sick of him working for free and mm. Mitch really was not comfortable doing the interviews. You know, he always felt bad, like, you know, cause he had a conscience unlike myself. Mm. So, so I just was like, I jumped on it and, and I, I was a fan of, of Howard. So it was like, okay, and I knew Howard would eventually be on television. So it was kind of like, a, you know, OK, I'll do the radio thing and then I, I'm sure it'll blossom into something else. So with Mitch, did he warn you about what it would be like to go and work at the Stern show that it wasn't your ordinary internship? Um, He like, you know, I you know, he was a fan of Howard just like I was. So he didn't really warn me. The, the one thing he did tell me to do was before my interview with baba Bowie, he told me to get a haircut and you know and you know and wear like a nice suit jacket and uh and everything else and and so i i went shopping to the sunrise mall in massapequa with my mom and bought like a black suit jacket and some nice pants and i got my hair cut mm. only to get to the show and find out that i didn't have to do any of that <laughs> and uh which is just, just like you booking me on this show and not telling me to the last minute it's audio only. So I showered and brushed my hair and everything. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. We only do audio here. There's no, no video on my show. Yeah. I can't deal with that extra layer of technical complication, having the video. That's why I give you all the credit in the world for doing your show, audio and video. Well, you know what? I'm like, I would say I'm an intermediate house sparks is, an uber genius when it comes to technology and he's been helping me along the way. But I mean, you know, I figured out how to do the, you know, both, but I'm telling you, you know, Bob, you know, first of all, 
YouTube makes it extremely difficult. I don't know if you have had this experience, but I, I've complained to them, but they purge my chat room. Like if I get up to like 500 people live in the chat room, yeah, out of nowhere, it'll go down to 350. And then everyone complains that they got booted by YouTube. And, and I've asked them on a number of occasions to help me with the issue and to no avail. I yeah. mean, they don't do anything because as Hal Sparks has told me, John, if you don't have, cause I only have like 14,000 subscribers. He's like, if you don't have like 25, 50,000, they ain't going to give a crap about you. And that's, that's right. what I'm experiencing with them. Yeah. In fact, I spoke to uh, another YouTuber named Rick Beato. He's a uh, music YouTuber. And he's been having similar trouble with YouTube, but more along the lines of the copyright strikes and things like that. And it's not really YouTube necessarily. It's just YouTube as a go-between between, uh, you know, a channel like Rick's and the music label. So he's having he's having his own struggles there, too. So it's not an easy thing, especially dealing with someone else's platform and all the terms of service and all of the rules. And many of the rules are arbitrary. And then it's impossible to contact anyone directly to well, yeah. uh, get that shit resolved and bob here and here's the other issue that i have is you know like even though you could block words mm -hmm. you know from chat you know like they give you that opportunity so i could block for instance the n-word or the yeah. homophobic f-word and you know i could block that but but my trolls then come in with the name seven times as the n-word and i can't <laughs> block the name mm-hmm so, you know, and it's very, very, you know, but YouTube, again, I've complained <laughs> for months and they don't do anything. And I'm surprised because they're a Google company. Yeah. You would you would think Google doesn't want, you know, hate being spewed in a chat room and they don't give me any opportunity to, you know, uh, to block them out. Yeah. It's almost impossible to get someone like a real live human being on the customer support line to work out the issues with you. It's, it's almost next to impossible. Is, yeah. Almost is too gracious. It, it's virtually <laughs> impossible. It really is. And that's across the board. It's not just YouTube, all of these platforms. You have a very difficult time getting uh, problems resolved, but let's, let's go back to the Stern show a little bit too. Uh, how did you end up going from being an intern to being a full-time employee or were you ever an intern did you get hired straight away what was the uh what was the step-by-step -step process to becoming a like almost a main cast member on that show i was an intern uh for a year and a half i i was i didn't make a dime yeah and at one point i went into howard's office and said uh listen man uh I'm going to have to leave because I'm 10,000 in debt with my parents, mm -hmm. you know, for, you know, for, for, for the train and everything. And, and, you know, I'm not making any money. It's cost me money. And then Howard said, well, uh, hang in there because in a few months, you know, we're going to have this channel nine TV show. And as soon as that TV show, I, I made 700 a week, you know, from that for the 20 weeks it was on or whatever. And then, and then 1500 the following year a week. But the thing that happened with me is because the stuttering John thing became such a phenomena that, uh, that, I, you know, I became like a cult hero and I was able to do, I would do gigs Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights and make seven fifty each appearance. So then I started. You do like personal, personal appearance gigs, right? 
Yeah, but I would also, I had a band. My band would get hired to play, and I would make more money than most bands because of my affiliation with the Stern Show. And then, mm -hmm. you know, I started to, you know, you know, I was able to start making good money. And then I became like, you know, I, a fixture on that show. In fact, so much so that in the advertising packet that Channel 9 sent out to potential sponsors, there were three people on the cover, Howard, Robin, and myself. So wow. I, I became an integral part of that show. And, and, and as much as Howard likes to downplay it now, I, you know, it, you know, the name stuttering John became, I mean, it, it, it would be very hard in those days to find someone who didn't know who it was. Yeah. You know? How did you react to your stutter becoming a source of comedy on the show? Uh, was it difficult at first or you're just like, ah, oh, fuck it. I'll just, uh, I'll just roll with it. I didn't care because like, it's weird. I, I'm very, I don't know. Like, even though people will say I'm thin skinned for the most part, when it comes to stuttering, I, I never cared. I mean, I was called, you know, Growing up, I was called Stutterface. I was called uh, Skip. Uh, I was called MC Stammer, and oh, the, yeah, and the Creme de la Creme Stuttering Prick, which are pretty harsh words to hear from your parents. But <laughs> but but no, I mean I I I embraced it. So it, like I've I mean, and it didn't bother me. In fact, Bob, because Howard started calling me Stuttering John it alleviated so much pressure to speak clearly that I barely stuttered anymore because there was no, I didn't have any anxiety about it. In fact, when I, and I've mentored quite a few stuttering kids, I always tell them if they're going to call, let's say for, to order pizza or, you know, or, you know, I don't know, but you know, chicken or whatever, I would say just the first thing I want you to say is when you're, you get to them on the phone is, hi, I'm a stutterer. Just take that, you know, uh, you know, elephant out of the room. And then as soon yeah. as you do that, it alleviates so much pressure to speak uh, clearly. And when you were having an occasion when you weren't stuttering a lot, did you feel pressure to put one on uh, or to exaggerate it a little bit more so that you were fulfilling that brand on the show? Was there any pressure coming in from, I don't know, Gary or Howard or anyone else, Fred, to say, well, where's the stutter all of a sudden? Why aren't you doing your bit, John? Uh, was there anything like that going on behind the scenes? No, because I still I stuttered on the air and I'd still, you know, would stutter when I did the interviews, because part of that, I mean, you know, is probably because I'm asking people questions that has the potential response of me getting my ass kicked, which so yeah. <laughs> I, I was always incredibly nervous. So I stuttered. So as far as on air with Howard, you know, I stuttered, especially when you had Howard and Fred and everyone interrupting me and goofing <laughs> on me. Yeah. So, so, so that, yeah. That, so then I stuttered there, but I'm talking about when I did appearances and stuff where mm -hmm. the pressure wasn't on me anymore. The, yeah. And I'd be on stage and, and, you know, like doing stand up, and people would be like, Hey, people would boo me. Cause I wasn't stuttering. And I'm like, geez, Man, this is all changed on me rather quickly. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Did you ever want to punch Fred? I mean, my God, there were some occasions. And of course, you know, I should preface all of this by saying I used to religiously listen to that show every goddamn morning. Uh, and it, whether it was in Philadelphia or later in Washington. And those occasions when you were in studio and Fred would get to mocking you while you were speaking. Did you ever just want to drop the mic and totally destroy him? Uh 
No, not really. I mean, if there was ever a reason for popping Fred, it wouldn't be for anything to do with stuttering. <laughs> well, what what would be a reason then? What, what was it about oh, him? Fred, I, I don't you know, like I never really had that big of a problem with Fred, but there were multiple occasions where I wanted to lay Howard out. I mean, I'll just give you the most probably popular one was when he told me to abort my first kid because I wasn't fit to be a father. Oh, my God. I mean, yeah. And, you know, there were occasions, certainly like those that that I, I, I you know, I practiced a large amount of restraint because, I mean, there are many occasions that I wanted to beat up Howard. <laughs> <laughs> was there something specific about uh, working with Howard that was uh, extraordinarily difficult? I mean, obviously, he's a very besides reclusive it, it, guy. Yeah. Cheap- Besides him being a cheap bastard. Yeah, and, I've read that too. Yeah, and besides Don Buckwald and Howard, uh, you know, it was funny when Meghan Markle and Prince Harry called the royal family the firm, I started calling the Stern Show the firm <laughs> uh, like after the first three years. In fact, Baba Bowie then started doing it too because it was literally what Jackie has always said is that, you know, Howard and Don will, will take the bulk of the pie, they'll give a slice to Fred, slice to Robin, and then we would all uh, uh, clamor and fight o- o- over the crumbs. And that's mm. essentially what it was. And, and like, you know, they would bully you. For instance, on the E! show, keep in mind, Bob, this show was going to air five times, I mean, you know, five days a week. Yeah. They, they told me I would make $200 a week. And, you know, so I, you know, $10,000 a year. And when my lawyer said, just have them fax the contract over, I asked when they sent Richard Bosch, Don Buckwald's henchman, when they sent him over for me to sign this ridiculous contract, I just said, I, I, I'll sign it, but could you fax it over to my attorney? Richard put the contract back into his manila envelope and I was off the e-show. Jesus. And, and, and that's what I'm talking about. And that's, mm. and that's, you know, that's indicative of how business was run on the Howard Stern show. And it, I mean, that's what they did. And, and it's really a bullying way, you know, to treat your staffers. So, you know, me and Gary, and, you know, anybody that wasn't Robin and Fred, keep in mind, they were the um, under the umbrella of Don Buckwald. Mm-hmm. Don Buckwald's a perennial bully. And like if I ever and when Don represented me for a brief time, he would like scream at me at the top of his lungs. If I ever asked for anything, if I asked, you know, if he could book me on Joan Rivers or David Letterman, what are you going to do? I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. Be funny. And then, like, he would, like, yell at me. And then he would always turn around, look at his phone and say, you know what? I'm doing this as a favor to Howard. I'm going to call Howard. And it, it was like, it, and for me, a kid, you know, essentially still in college, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to call Howard. Like, I'm going to tell daddy on you. And that's what it was. And and so you just really had to just grin and bear it, take their BS. And, you know, and that's what it was. And that's why, you know, uh, just recently, the it finally has come out in the news that Hox, you know, uh, what what a toxic environment it was to work for Howard, and and you know, 
me and Artie and a bunch of other, Steve Grillo, a bunch of other people. And a, a lot of people came out and requested to not be named in the article. But, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, let's face it. I mean, their way of doing business is just downright unethical. And so when Howard came out after the allegations came out against Ellen about what a toxic environment it is to work for her, Howard had the audacity to tell Ellen to just own it, which which just I did a uh, a 19 minute rant on Howard and which got like 30,000, 40,000 views. But just to say, really, Ellen's got to own it, Howard, (laughs) you know, when are you going to own it? That's interesting to hear because it seems like Howard at some point, I don't want to say recently necessarily, but sometime in the last uh, five, six years, maybe he went through uh, what I would consider to be quite a transformation, at least in terms of his on air personality, where he seems uh, happier. Uh, the tone of the show seems lighter. And that's why the, the Ellen thing kind of shocks me a little bit that he would put it in those terms because it seems like he's beyond that kind of uh, behavior. That seems more like K-Rock behavior. It seems like more like the you know, like 90s K-Rock Howard kind of style where it was. Yeah, I can't even imagine because I haven't come through the Don and Mike show and knowing what kind of pressure cooker that really was. You know, the Stern show was maybe a thousand times worse. So it seems out of character for him to do that now, to, to take that particular posture now. Well, that's what you would think. But the truth of the matter is, and you know, I've, I have people who still work there and people who have worked there in the recent Howard years, and uh, he's gotten worse. I mean, you're not allowed to approach him in the hallway. He's become like that David Letterman thing that you're not allowed to look at him in the eyes. He's become everything that he goofed on in the old days. I mean, you you are not allowed to be in the same hallway. They they clear the hallway. And this has been documented by not only me. This is not me being bitter. This is just me telling the truth. Mm -hmm. And it has come out. Opie, Greg Hughes has, you know, actually taped the hallway being cleared when King Howard has, you know, has to walk down it. And the, the most recent story that has come out is from Scott, the engineer who was just fired and Scott, the engineer, uh, his wife was dying uh, of cancer. Scott, the engineer approached Howard in the hallway to ask him if he could do a GoFundMe page. Howard said, Scott, you know, you're not allowed to talk to me. Go talk to Marcy. So who, Scott who's, wait, who's, Mar- who's, who's Marcy? Marcy Turk is the new executive producer. She's in head of Baba Booey now. Oh, really? And I didn't know that happened. He so, so uh, Gary's been superseded by someone else. Yeah. In fact, Gary's so stupid. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I hate to say it, Bob, but it's the yeah. truth. I mean, look, the, the, look, just for anybody. The reason why Gary's name is Baba Booey is because Gary it was an animation cell collector. Yeah. And he was on the air and said he wanted to get his favorite character animation cell. And Howard said, who's that? And he said, Baba Booey. <laughs> and Howard said, don't you mean Baba Louie? And he goes, no, it's Baba Booey. <laughs> and Howard was so and Gary was so defiant that he was correct until we all proved him wrong, which is why they still play that clip. Baba Booey. It's actually Gary saying it. Yeah. But but getting back to how, you know, another example of Gary's stupidity yeah. is 
when they hired Marcy Turk, which by the way, Marcy Turk is a disciple of the getting things done book, which mm -hmm. is this like, it's a Scientology kind of way to look at the workplace. Hmm. So Marcy Turk really having no radio credentials, but Howard being easily him and Robin were always easily buying into these crazy, you know, you know, things, you know, like healing back pain, Dr. Sarno. He's like, you know, like Howard was always, you know, into these weird things. So he then decided Mossy Turk, he needed a Mossy Turk. Mm -hmm. So, and Bob, for any of your listeners and viewers, if really you should watch, if you're going to watch one podcast, you could watch my vodcast of me and my producer. We acquired tape of the Getting Things Done seminar which Howard hosted and Marcy Turk organized it. And on, on the video screen, like there are a numerous amount of misspellings and for <laughs> words such as structure and everything else on the screen. And the funny part about that is that when you then go, Marcy Turk's resume was pulled up and you realize in her resume, there's, numerous amounts of misspellings <laughs> but you could only draw the conclusion that it was her that had put the video you know the uh the spreadsheet up you know the visual age because she doesn't know how to spell yeah but anyway getting back to this getting things done seminar howard's going on about how people should set up 10 fake twitter accounts and reach out to guests telling them that you know howard is the best and i mean and they should do the Howard Stern show. Now, Bob, I know this is hard for you to believe that Howard Stern would be, you know, uh, you know, someone who would champion people in on his staff setting up 10 fake Twitter accounts. But believe me, that picture is in my book. Uh, easy for you to say and is on the screen in the getting things done seminar. So this is not me saying anything libelous or slanderous. This is actual visual proof because mm -hmm. we have the videotape of Howard standing in front of screen and telling his staff to set up 10 fake Twitter accounts. But I digress. So this is where we get to Gary's stupidity. So at, at one point in the seminar, Howard says, so from now on, everybody's got to answer to Marcy Turk. So Baba Booey, in front of the, his whole staff, raises his hand and goes, does that mean I have to answer to Marcy Howard? I mean, talk about <laughs> a dope. So now he's going to set himself up in front of everybody that's underneath them and ask such a ridiculous question rather than ask Howard in private. But instead, Baba Booey chooses to ask in public. And he goes, Wolf, does that mean I have to answer to Martha Turk? And Howard goes, yes, Gary, you do too. So Howard, so Gary got undressed in front of the hundreds of staff members that now Gary has ha, has to answer to Marcy Turk. And let me just go one step further here, Bob. Gary now shares an office with John Hine. Marcy Turk has her own big office at Sirius. Wow. Yeah, it's it's weird to hear these stories, especially about Gary here, and especially your tone of voice, John, when discussing uh, Gary and his behavior at the at the station on the show. At least from the outside, he seems like a reasonable guy. He seems like someone who is kind of the, uh, you know, like uh, on the. You know uh, what? I'm, on, sure, on the I'm sure many people thought Hitler was a reasonable <laughs> man. 
What what is it about Gary that sets you off so much? Did he do something specifically no, to you, Bob? Bob, you know what I mean? It's so funny because when I went because because when you know I tweeted out something, I said you know uh, Ellen DeGeneres loses a million viewers after the story of uh, her being a toxic boss, yet Howard Stern gets a twenty million dollar a year raise. And someone said, well, I don't know why you're saying that. Howard's a nice guy. I go, yeah, I'm sure there were people who thought serial kills were a nice guy, too. <laughs> you know, it, it's not. Yeah. Gary is it. I mean, he look, I don't hate Gary. I'll always love Gary. You know, he's like the lovable. Yeah, that's what know. I mean. Yeah, that's a, he seems like just like a teddy bear that he's got caught up in this. Yeah, <laughs> in this the, crazy uh, universe. The same and, amount of brain capacity. Yeah, he's like yeah, Marilyn. Yeah, you know. He's like the character Marilyn from the Monsters. You know what I mean? He's the one normal one. That's what was always my outside impression. No, you Gary's know. Gary. Gary's as messed up as all of us. Trust me. <laughs> okay. I, I mean. <laughs> In Gary's own words, his you know, his mom was pretty abusive. I mean, that whole show was, I mean, all of us were just abused kids. I mean, it's just, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, it was really taking the worst, you know, it, it, it was really, you know, a documentary on bad parenting for, for you know, <laughs> I mean, because we were all abused as children. Mm -hmm. and, and that's why, you know, the show worked because we were all, you know, <laughs> You yeah. know, we, we were all from horrible childhoods. A little bit damaged. Everyone's a little bit damaged on the show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like I remember Bob when I was talking, and I and I and I'll get back to the Scott the Engineer story, but <laughs> but I, I remember once when I was asking for a raise and uh, Tom Chiasano or Tom Chipasano as he was known, <laughs> and and uh, and Steve Kingston. You know, I'm asking for a raise, and they were like, John, Howard created you. And I looked him straight in the eye and said, uh, no, no, years and years of bad parenting created me, <laughs> you know, because it had nothing to do with Howard. I was me way before I got on to Howard's show. So, you know, that's just I mean, that's just the environment, you know, so I mean, when you actually were saying that you were called a stuttering prick by your parents, that was true then. Right. Or was that a joke? No, 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 no. That was a joke. But my okay. father flew off the handle on a few occasions and and mm. slap the crap out of me and he, but even worse than that he would slap the crap out of my sisters in front of me and i was yeah. five and six years old and my mom had to sleep in bed with me with a knife to protect me so jesus yeah 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 so that's what i'm talking about i mean and you know fred's dad i guess was an alcoholic i think he's alleged that on the air i spoke about that robin's dad uh, molested her. I mean, I'm, you know, you're talking about the, I mean, just a bunch of freaking damaged people thrown in the same, you know, uh, fishbowl day after day. So you can imagine why it made great radio because mm -hmm. we were all like, you know, these damaged human beings. But getting back to Scott the engineer. Yes. So he approaches Marcy Turk then and asks if he could set up the GoFundMe. Marcy Turk says, sure. But you can't call yourself Scott the Engineer, and you can't say that you are from the Howard Stern Show. Oh, Jesus Christ! So, so then Scott sets up the GoFundMe, and he sets it up at fifty grand. He raises seventy thousand to pay for his wife's chemo. Mm -hmm. Howard gets so embarrassed on social media, people calling him such a cheap prick because he couldn't just reach into his own pocket when he's making. 
you know, 500 million from Sirius for a five-year contract that he got so beaten up, he got so shamed that they wrote Scott out of every script. You know, Scott suffered a demotion, was no longer an employee of the Howard Stern Show, was an employee of only Sirius. Hmm. And so that's the thanks that Scott got. And to make the story even worse, and this comes straight from Scott's mouth, which is why I, I don't fear any legal uh, ramifications for saying this, that in, when Scott's wife, unfortunately, ultimately died, Howard did not go downstairs to the floor beneath him to offer his condolences and give Scott a hug. Instead, he sent him a two-sentence email that read uh, the following. Beth and I are very sorry for your loss, and we have donated to a cancer charity in your wife's name. And that's all that Scott got from Howard after 30 years of loyal service. That's shitty. Did uh, did Scott do something to Howard to make Howard react that way? Uh, no, well, guess, okay. no. Marcy Turk took the reins and, you know, set up this new Howard. You know, she, I, look, in my book, I call her Yoko Turco because... <laughs> I mean, I mean, she really, you know, changed the Howard Stern show from which which was once a very organically funny, real show to something that is now just so convoluted. You know, it's just not the same. And even when they try and do the staff arguments, they just don't reek of truth like they reek of just it just it doesn't it's not the same show. And you could thank Marcy Turk. All for that. But so getting back to your initial premise, no, Howard hasn't become a better person off the air. He's become a monster. That's really disappointing to hear that. And, you know, on one hand, it doesn't surprise me necessarily, because uh, from what I know about Howard, he's a very complicated guy and he's got, you know, his own demons and so on that he's got to deal with and his own ego that, uh, you know, certainly when you get to the point where you're making $500 million or whatever it is to be a public persona, then it's going to, uh, especially with a large audience, it's got to fuck you up to some degree. I mean, you were first on the show when a lot of those funerals started, right? Where you would have those gigantic yeah. public appearances, like the one for DeBella. Were you at the one yeah, for there. DeBella in Philly? I was there. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be a mind fuck to see a crowd that size uh, turning out to see you guys. That, that must have been enormous. Yeah, and that's when I jumped in the bathtub with Howard and Jessica Hahn, and they claimed that <laughs> yeah, I turned Bongo. all the water yeah. black. <laughs> I remember, I remember that distinctly. <laughs> and you know, this is what ball buses we were on on the bus ride home. We put Jessica's lingerie in Jackie the Joke Man's suitcase, and when he got home, his wife would find it. <laughs> <laughs> See, that was, you know, that was all a very specific kind of radio. And I f almost feel like, yeah, the show has changed uh, since then. But it was very much of its time, though. I mean, there was a style of, of I know uh, uh, my friend Buzz from the Don and Mike show refers to it as guy talk radio, uh, shock radio, whatever you want to call it, where almost anything goes. I mean, it was really one of those cases where, the boundaries were kind of taken off uh, broadcast to a certain extent. While the FCC was still definitely a problem, uh, absolutely for someone like Howard. And I don't know that it could ever be that again, certainly not in broadcast, but even on satellite, it would be difficult to do that now. Yeah. I mean, you know, you couldn't be Don Rickles in this day and age. I mean, that's why, 
I mean, that's why Lisa Lampanelli left stand up. She, you know, because, you know, the world's become way too PC. No, yeah, you're yeah. exactly right. What what we did on that show in those days could never be repeated. Mm -hmm. Ever. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. you know, see, now here's the other part. And this is the whole conflict that I think we all, well, at least I had, because, you know, where I told you that my father would slap the crap out of all of us. Then on the other hand, you know, my father was this lovable guy who took us on great vacations and would tell us great stories, had a great sense of humor. So you were always, you always had this conflict, you know, mm -hmm. like you loved them, but you hated them. Yeah. And that same conflict came with working for Howard Stern because you loved them because Howard like I, I was in Howard's inner circle. I'd go out to dinner with Howard. Our wives were friends. I would sleep over his house and we would have great times. I would go jogging with Howard. I'd work out with Howard. So I was like one of the few that were in his inner circle. You know, Gary wasn't. Gary was never invited to any of those things. It was like, you know, there was only a, a certain few of us that would actually, you know, get, you know, get the, you know, get the kiss the ring, if you will. I mean, me, Scott, Einziger, the uh, E executive producer, Ross Zapin, who's still there, and our wives. That, like you know, that was the inner circle. Dominic Barbara. I mean, those were yeah, the about inner Ralph. Circle. Maybe Ralph too. Ralph was in there too. Oh yeah, Ralph, yeah. of course. But Ralph is just a. I mean, I mean, I don't. I mean, I, I mean, I, even we, even when you mention his name, I want a Ralph. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> but I mean, but yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. He was. And also uh, Jackie, Jackie was in the inner circle, but then, you know, but Jackie was such a problematic, you know, thorn in Howard's side, you know, contractually that, you know, that kind of like was a tough one. But for me, like I was, you know, Susanna, my wife and Beth were very good friends. So I was, you know, I was in the inner circle. So uh, it was tough because I, it, on one hand, I loved the man and, you know, knew how super talented he was. On the other hand, I considered him a bully. So it was mm. a very, very tough, you know, thing. And that's why even to this day, I'll always say I'm grateful to Howard. He gave me my start. We, you know, we did some of the funniest radio ever. And I do not hate the man. In fact, I love the man. But I just think his business practices are awful. Don Buck, Don Buckwald is the devil. <laughs> Mel Carmazin is not much better. And, you know, and they were just really, you know, like, you know, a bullying place. And they, you know, and look, it's not just me, Bob. If it was just me, you could say, okay, John, it's you. But if you talk to Steve Grillo, he's got his own stories. Jackie's got his own stories. Artie's got his own stories. I mean, you know, you know, all the E guys, from Scott DePace to Doug Goodstein, you know, to Brian Phelan. I mean, they all have these same stories, Bob. It's not just me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if, if you have 10, 15 people with the same story about an organization, that you, then you have to then start questioning, not the people telling the story, you have to start questioning the organization. Yeah, yeah. And it is. I mean, it's just like, Bob, it's just like Donald Trump. Mm. I mean, look, if 30 women say he assaulted them then you know what if it's one two maybe five you you might give them the benefit of the doubt but when it's 30 you start going you know you know this 
you know, there's got to be some truth to it. Okay, we'll get back to our conversation with John Melendez here in just one second. But first, let's talk about the after party. Every Friday, Kimberly Johnson and I record a fourth podcast for the week. But this one's totally different from the usual Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday shows. The Friday After Party podcast is loaded with all the politics you want, while also including uncensored, completely obscene conversations about sex, drugs, movies, television, our personal lives, all the crap we can't get away with on the free show. So please help support this podcast by subscribing to our Friday After Party for just $10 per month. Plus, you're also going to get two post-mortem shows every week included in that level of support. That's bobseskashow.com or just click the all-caps Patreon link beneath the logo at bobseska.com. Thank you. The Bob Seska Show. Did you ever see kind of a crossover between some of the tactics Trump would use, uh, certainly during his presidency, but even before that, and some of the tactics uh, Howard would use on the air? So, for example, I feel like to a certain extent... Donald Trump stole some bits from Howard, particularly something like, you know, we always hear Donald Trump saying that he invented something, whatever it happens to be, Uh, some some catchphrase or something like that. Oh, I invented that phrase. And that was something that Howard used to do all the time. Howard was talking about almost every morning. He would talk about how he invented that style of radio. And it seems like it was the same kind of thing. Did you ever get that vibe? Did you ever recognize some Howardish things when you would observe Donald Trump? Of course. Mm. I mean, there was a time I was on the air with Howard and I said, you know what, Howard, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't know how to breathe because <laughs> like, he would take credit for everything. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, much like Donald Trump, you know, like tried to copyright the term you're fired, mm-hmm. which, you know, which he didn't even come up with. That was a producer from The Apprentice. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, Howard Stern, you know, it, uh, let, let me tell you, from a, this is an ex-staffer. I won't mention any names, but, you know, he, you know, like he like he said it like this to me. He just said, you know, it's so odd that Howard goofs on Donald Trump because Howard Stern is Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and look, Bob, even when you go back to the little Marcos and the Pocahontas and, you know, and the low energy Jeb. That's all Howard stuff, putting mm-hmm. people down for various, you know, uh, you know, things that they have. I mean, you know, one, you know, one in 26 Kasich. I mean, it's all it's all Howard. You know, Donald Trump is the Howard Stern of a president. Definitely. And here's something that I've noticed, too, is that it's a much different environment hosting a podcast than it was hosting a radio show, say, in the mid-90s, or being part of a show that was sort of like the Stern Show, a Don and Mike show, Opie and Anthony, some of the others. And that's what's fascinating to observe now, because I'm finding that doing a podcast and dealing with other podcasters is much more gregarious and friendly than when you were, say, on a radio show dealing with a rival radio show. I mean, when I was in radio, we used to do horrible things to other DJs, especially the <laughs> other DJs at other radio stations. But that just doesn't happen anymore. And the, the reason I'm mentioning this is um, there was a period of time not too long ago where I felt like um, you were trying to develop some sort of um, some sort of fracas, some sort of rivalry between you and me. And it, it sort of circulated around the Stephanie Miller show and things like that. And between I just, you and me. Yeah. Yeah. You were talking about the uh, Stephanie Miller show on your show. And um, I feel like 
I was being drawn into it to a certain degree. Uh, and maybe it was partly my fault. I don't know. But I, what I'm trying to get at here is I'm not necessarily. I, I, the only thing I remember is that I was trashing Stephanie. And yeah. then you said, John, I can't be on your show if you're going to trash Stephanie because, you know, I'm I'm a regular on her show. And then and then I recently and then I just backed off the trash and, you know, Stephanie. But yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, obviously, you know, we had we, we didn't have the most smoothest of, uh, you know, of of breakups there. But, mm. you know, and, you know, there were a lot of things that were said and done, which I don't even really want to bring up. But oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, but, not, I'm not necessarily but I, I didn't have a rivalry with you. Oh, no, no, no. But I, I felt like there was an element of old school radio uh, sort of bubbling to the surface. And I'm not calling you out on this. I'm certainly not pissed off or anything like that. I'm just saying that it reminded me of radio back in the day where on-air people would call out other on-air people to start kind of a, a battle between the two. Like Don and Mike used to get into fracases with uh, Opie and Anthony. There was a big blowout between those shows. And it makes yeah. for great radio, right? It's very dramatic, exciting radio to listen to from the outside. And I, I recognize that. And I'm only bringing that up because it just seems like now, with podcasting, that doesn't quite work. I think there's a friendlier environment now. And I was wondering if, if you have kind of, as your podcast has developed, the Stuttering John podcast, I'm wondering if you have noticed that difference, too. Yeah, you know, like how I look at it, like even when it comes to Stephanie, like, you know, you know, like, look, I... <laughs> I could be the bigger man and, and, you know, like I told Hal Sparks and I've, you know, and I've talked about this on my show. I go, look, you know, me, you know, I don't, I, I don't know if I said you, but let's say me, Bob Seska, uh, you know, Hal Sparks, Stephanie Miller, we're all fighting the same fight. Here. Yeah, exactly. So, so I don't have to like Stephanie Miller, but I could certainly, refrain from saying anything bad about it so because she's doing you know the same thing that i'm doing is trying to defeat trumpism so in that respect i i like you know you haven't seen me or heard me or i haven't tweeted anything uh, any negative connotations about you know stephanie mm -hmm. you know i mean i'll say uh, there are times i'll even compliment i go you know uh you know i i appreciate all the shows like Midas Touch and Stephanie Miller and, mm -hmm. and, and Dino Badal and John Fugel saying, I mean, I, you know, I praise all those shows because we're all fighting the same good fight. Exactly. So, yeah. So I, yeah, where I get what you're saying when there's a rivalry, but I don't really like in podcasting. Yeah. I don't feel it. I don't. Um, I mean, I, I, I think that there's strength in numbers. I believe the democratic party has a tendency to eat itself instead of joining forces. So I, I don't want to be a part of eating, you know, you know, uh, you know, of, of destroying each other. I'd yeah. rather be a part of us standing on a unified front. Mm -hmm. So yes, was I angry in the past? I remember John Fugel saying, you know, cause when I did tweet those angry things towards Stephanie, like, of course, John, you know, you know, everyone goes to the same, you know, the same, thing with me and like I was on John's show when he said you know I guess you were drinking and I'm like no John like everyone assumes that I wake up with a bottle of beer in my hand like I, I don't know like I don't really know where this comes I know I make jokes about me drinking beer but 
you know, I do my show on a regular basis. I don't drink before or during my show. The only one I do is beer on the balcony, which is in the title. Well, I need to say, too, that I felt like I was kind of in a... I was kind of between a rock and a hard place. I was kind of like stuck in the Star Wars trash compactor because uh, on one hand, I like you, John, and I, I respect you a lot. And in fact, if all that hadn't gone away, we probably wouldn't be talking right now because my loyalty in most things is with Stephanie Miller. I mean, I wouldn't be doing this show right now if it wasn't for uh, Stephanie Miller and all the things that she has done for me and promoted me and had me on her show so often. So ultimately, that's why I was kind of standoffish when it came to all of it. No, I understand. I, and yeah. you know what? You know, and I get it. I'm not, you know, and, and you know, I understand that, that you know, that your allegiance is to Stephanie. But and, and I don't like, again, and, th and then you go to a guy, you know, when getting off of Stephanie and getting back to Howard Stern, because I really don't want to I don't want to make this about Stephanie. But, but but, you know, getting back to Howard Stern and how he treated, you know, like, you know, people like Scott. Here is the thing. I go to work for Jay Leno. And when I go to work for Jay Leno, it is the exact opposite. It is the juxtaposition of bosses. It's like going from vivid video to Disney. <laughs> I mean, because Jay Leno is a true mensch. Yeah. Jay Leno, if anybody had somebody in the hospital, Jay Leno would go into pocket and help pay the hospital bills. Mm. That's Jay Leno. Where Howard doesn't allow people to talk to him in the hallway, Jay Leno will, uh, uh, you know, leave his, Jay Leno leaves his office door open and anyone from PA, a page, which is the equivalency of a TV intern, and, you know, to a writer, to a producer, to a, uh, you know, you know, a, a, you know, the lighting guy, the sound guy, anybody could walk right into Jay's office and Jay will say, say, come on in, say hello to Mr. Leno. Hmm. It, it is just such a different work environment. So it was very, you know, for me, it was a refreshing, you know, move from going from this toxic environment from the Howard Stern show to, to going to this pleasurable experience of one of the greatest bosses I've ever had in Jay Leno. Plus, you're in Southern California. I mean, that must have been just a, an enormous change in your life all around, right? I mean, not only from a uh, a work stress-related sort of situation, but also from, uh, you know, in terms of your domestic life, in terms of your free time, uh, to not necessarily have that morning wake-up call <laughs> to get up at, uh, I don't know, what what time would you wake up in the morning when you're working on the Stern Show, like 4 o'clock in the morning, something like that? When I was in Long Island, I got up at 3.20 every morning. Jesus Christ. And and I would I would sometimes chase the train, Bob. So I would go to the Mass, the, the, the North Massapequa train station, and on many occasions, I would miss the train by like 10 seconds. <sighs> so... I would I would I would speed down Sunrise Highway and, you know, try and get in head of the train so I could park. Sometimes I would park in like, you know, Baldwin or wherever I was so I could run up and and get on the train because I was the one responsible for letting Howard in in the morning. So I would get to Penn Station at um, at uh, 457. I took a 357 train. I would get. To, to the to Penn Station at five, take a cab, get to the Stern Show at five fifteen, and at five forty, I would get the call from 
Ronnie the limo driver and then go downstairs and let Howard into the back door. So, you know, it was just kind of strange. You would think yeah. that an intern is left with this kind of responsibility. Yeah, right. Seriously. But I mean, God damn it. That early morning, that pace of having to commute like that and to barely make it in and to have the weight of the responsibility of letting Howard in the building. I mean, that alone, my God, to have to deal with that every day. Uh, it, and it was keep like, in mind, Bob, after the show, I would go attend my classes at NYU. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> so, and, I mean, when you got the Tonight Show, because those of you who don't know, uh, John became the announcer on the Tonight Show, and you moved to Southern California with your wife and your family, and you go down there, and my God, were you um, spending a, a period of time after that where you would just naturally wake up at 3.20 in the morning and go, ah, shit, well, I don't have to go anywhere, so what am I doing up at 3.20? <laughs> Was your yeah, body yeah. accustomed to waking up that early? Well, eventually I got enough money to move into Manhattan, so then I yeah. would, I then, and then, you know, I would, I would, <laughs> because then, Bob, I wasn't the low man on the totem pole. You got, like, Mike Ganji and Steve Grillo as interns. Yeah. So, you know, one of my duties was to park, I would park Robin's car, and... <laughs> Like I was an idiot because when I started there, uh, they asked Mitch if he knew how to drive a standard transmission. Mm -hmm. and, and Mitch was smart enough to lie and say he didn't. So then he didn't have to park Robin's car. Me, of course, the first time I never forget. First time I made Howard laugh was when they asked me if I knew how to drive a stick. And I, you know, I go, yeah. So wait, the uh, the brake is on the right. The gas pedal's on the left. <laughs> and you know and then howard laughed but then i then had to park robin's car which immediately when ganji started i the first day ganji got there i go okay you're parking robin's car now you're low man yeah and he goes i don't know how to drive a stick i go i'll teach you and i went down in robin's brand new sob and 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 taught ganji how to drive in one lesson he was stalling it out all over manhattan but and burning the clutch, but anything to get out of that, because you'd have to drive like five blocks, you know, and then park the car and then walk back in the, in the freezing cold of the winter. Mm -hmm. So I, so I got out of that, but yeah, getting, and, and keep in mind, I was going to NYU. I sometimes have like six o'clock, seven o'clock film classes. I would then get on a train at 11 at night, get home. And then three hours later, wake up and start the whole thing all over again. And a lot of times I'd be out doing interviews and sometimes I would sleep on the floor at K rock next to Mel Carmazan's office. Cause that's the only place there was AC in the building. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh my God. And, and so when you were actually an intern, you weren't making any money. That's another thing that's become um, frowned upon now is not paying interns. But back then, and I was the same way, I didn't make any money as an intern. It was a free internship. It was supposed to be for college credit, right? And so there was no money there. And there was nothing that was particularly glamorous about it. You would end up doing things like parking people's cars. Or in my case, every day I had to go out and I had to get Don and Mike's lunches. And that involved going to Giant to the uh, uh, salad bar and making the salad per their specifications and, and doing all that grunt work which was uh, all at the same time, you're supposed to be learning about radio because that's the point. You're in college, you're a college student doing it for college credit. But most of the time, it used to feel like you were just doing all of the 
you know, busy work that's involved in, in making one of those shows go. So, and Bob, another uncomfortable thing that you and I had was when I, I, I was, I didn't know, but I was asking this girl on, you know, uh, on Twitter, Hey, you know, you know, where do you live? Uh, you know, you know, I want to go grab a drink. And then I found out it was your girlfriend. You hit on Kimberly on Twitter. And so she yeah. came in, you know, she says to me, uh, don't worry about this. It's not a problem. But uh, stuttering John just hit on me on Twitter. And I said, what? That's so weird. Stuttering John just hit on you on Twitter. That's so bizarre. And she said, yeah, well, yeah. No, I, I didn't lunch. know that she was your girlfriend. <laughs> well, I know we don't, we don't generally announce those things. So I completely understand how you wouldn't know. There have been many, many people who have hit on my girlfriend on Twitter without knowing that <laughs> know. I'm on the and other end I of that. I felt so embarrassed. I was like, <laughs> because I, I think it was either you or her I, who said, I think she said, you know, I'm Bob Seska's girlfriend. I go, Oh my God, no, I didn't know that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? To, to make you feel a little bit better, there is a an extraordinarily popular politics writer who is very well known. He's been on MSNBC a lot. Uh, he, uh, he writes a, a regular thing uh, online, and he also... <laughs> was relentless in asking Kimberly out until, you know, she kind of, she didn't want to piss him off because he's a very powerful person. But uh, f finally she just went, well, you know, I'm, uh, I'm with someone and here's, here's his handle and everything like that. And then I guess he may have taken a look at my picture or something like that. Say, yeah, I don't want to fuck with that guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I think he I, backed off. I mean, here's the thing. I would never hit on anyone's girlfriend. That's the whole thing. And that's yeah. why it was like, oh man. Yeah. You know, because you know, like Twitter, I, it's impossible to know. And it's not like she said, you know, you know, in, in, in her, uh, on her homepage, I'm Bob Seska's girl. Oh no, I know. I know. So there was no way of you knowing. And also you're not married anymore. Are you? No. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, <laughs> I guess that no, would no, be no, obvious. No. I, I wasn't doing anything, yeah. uh, you know, bad. It's just that, you know, I didn't know that she was your girlfriend. And you know what? <laughs> you had a, uh, you had a stroke not too long ago. Um, are you getting uh, your health in order? Is that uh, is that something you're having uh, treated so it doesn't happen again? I'll tell you a funny story, Bob. So, well, you know, if you got two minutes, but here sure. we go. So I have my first TIA, which is a mini stroke. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> on on, I was closing up my set at the uh, Bart Reed's comic strip in El Paso, <laughs> and Jesus Christ! And suddenly, so, suddenly, like my lips go numb, hmm. and. I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, as I'm on stage telling jokes, I'm going, all right. Did, did the comic who was on before me was he doing blow and and <laughs> and it and it rubbed off to the mic? And if so, I'm pissed because he didn't share any with me. <laughs> but it turns out that I get up off the stage and then my whole left side goes numb. Now I think it's like an allergy. I I don't know what a stroke. I I you know. So then an hour later, it all goes away. So I don't think anything of it. Mm -hmm. Then I'm having a catch two months later with my daughter and I catch the ball with my left hand and then my whole left side goes numb again. Yeah. So then I'm at the pub and after two days, people are going, John, go to the doctor. So I go to the hospital. They immediately check me in. And this is where this is the funniest part of the story, Bob. So the doctor, a female, says to me, uh, you know, I checked out your CAT scans. I don't think you had any strokes, but we're going to do an MRA just to be sure. But again, I don't think you had any strokes. I go, okay. 
So I do the MRI. And then, uh, you know, later in the day, there comes the female doctor. She comes up to me while I'm lying down. She goes, it turns out that you had two strokes. I go, so you were wrong. She goes, no, I wasn't. I go, yes, you were. You told me you thought I didn't have two strokes. She said, I, yeah, I, but I didn't say I was that exactly sure. I go, so you just won't admit that you were wrong? She goes, no, I'm not going to admit I'm wrong. I go, let me ask you a question. Are you a Scorpio? <laughs> she goes, yeah. I go, are you born in November? She goes, yeah. I go, is your birthday November 21st? She goes, yeah. How do you know that? I go, because my wife's birthday is November 21st, and she never admits when she's wrong either. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and suddenly you're ejected from the hospital. Suddenly security and is called. And <laughs> and that's a true story, Bob. I wish it was, I wish I was kidding. Oh, my God. Wonderful, wonderful. So, so you're doing better now? You're, you're get, getting all that, whatever caused the stroke, you're getting all that in order? Well, it's, you know... It's like half, like half of me doesn't work. It's like the staff at Home Depot. It's like, <laughs> it's like I can't feel my th uh, two fingers on my left hand. Mm. I can't feel my lips. Unfortunately, the girls that kiss me can, and, uh, and I can't feel the toes on my left foot. But you know, I'm dealing with it. I mean, I can't run as long as I used to, but I still hike and work out. But you know, oh, it, it sucks. But I, you know. It was all caused because of high cholesterol and high blood pressure and lack mm -hmm. of vitamin D. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jesus Christ, man, take care of yourself. Uh, seriously. Um, the podcast, because you've got a great podcast. It's called the Stuttering John Podcast. It's a must-listen show with guests ranging from Hal Sparks to Richard Ojeda. He's great, by the way. I had him on my show right after uh, we were both on your show. And uh, he's awesome, man. Yeah, see, and Bob, and Bob, that's the other thing. Like that, That's where I thought you were going when you were talking about podcasting. It took a different turn than I, uh, that I anticipated. But what the great thing about that is, you know, I love it when, you know, because we all have a lot of the same guests on. And that's yeah. just, I mean, that's what's great about it. It's like we're all part of the same team. Exactly. Which is why, like, I'm not going to get mad if somebody has a guest that I have on. I mean, like, who cares? You know, it's <laughs> right. Right. But you you also have other podcasters on. And, and I guess what I was trying to get at is back in the day, uh, for example, Howard having Don Geronimo on his show or vice versa was just never going to fucking happen because everyone was fighting with everyone else's show. That was just the mood of the time. That was the bit yeah, of the time. And, 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 and we'll take it a step further. If you did, if any of Howard's guests did Opie and Anthony, Howard would never have him on again. And that was a thing. In fact, that was a thing. Uh, you talk about Jay Leno, his former manager, the late Helen Kushnick, used to do that when he was first, when Leno first got the Tonight Show. There was that whole thing where yeah. if, you, if you do Arsenio show, you can't be on the Tonight Show. So she was constantly trying to poach guests in the name of getting them on the Tonight Show and making sure they don't go on any other show uh, and making sure they're loyal to just Jay Leno. And that caused all kinds of problems with Helen Kushnick and Jay Leno himself. Uh, all well documented in that late shift movie and in the book, but that was kind of the environment. That was the environment across entertainment at the time, especially in talk formats. And I, and I, the only reason I brought up the other thing is not necessarily to mix it up with you or anything like that, John, because I'm just it's just not my style. But um, the reason I brought it up is to show the difference between the way we all used to do things in radio versus the way podcasting is now, which is 
as I was saying, a much more gregarious environment where I can go on your show, you can come on my show, I go on Stephanie's show, Stephanie goes on someone else's show, and it's a very um, unifying effort, especially when we're all talking about the same thing uh, in terms of politics and coming through a crisis like the uh, like the Trump years. And you're very much a natural at doing podcasting, so congratulations on the show. Where else can people uh, subscribe to the show? Everywhere podcasts normally are uh, are presented? Yeah, yeah. It's on YouTube, you know, and on Twitch and on Facebook, on my Facebook page. And then I, uh, you know, it's on all the podcast platforms, yeah. Lips and Spotify, Pandora and iTunes and everything else. And then, of course, um, you know, you can become uh, a patron on my Patreon at patreon.com slash stuttering john and uh and you know or you could become a youtube you know member because every friday i do a show bob beer on the balcony mm -hmm. and that's exclusively just to the patreons and you know and i have a lot of you know funny and famous comics and actors on i just had rain wilson on last week i'm gonna have mm -hmm. um i'm gonna have um kevin brennan mm -hmm. on this week uh, Modi on next week, and then the week after, Larry the Cable Guy. So, oh, holy shit, yeah. Larry the Cable Guy, really? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan, that's his real name. Dan's a good friend of mine. Oh yeah. So, so you know, I got you know because what what are his which, what are his politics like, Larry the Cable oh, Guy? Oh, he's a right winger, but that's mm. but that's the thing, Bob. Like you know, Beer on the Balcony is a non political show, so I don't I don't have to get into politics and yeah. Sometimes, honestly, Bob, I like to take a break from politics because, mm -hmm. you know, what like now that the you know ding dong the witch is dead, uh, you know, you know, it, now that Trump is gone, mm. it's it's nice for all of us. I I to collectively take a deep breath and just like just you know know that we can wake up every morning without having to hear something stupid that our commander in chief has done. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. but the only problem is Bob is because I would have changed the format of my podcast and just went back to entertainment. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is that Trumpism is still alive and well, and which you have now idiots and I'm happy to see he's under incredible. I mean, I even Tucker Carlson can't defend Mac Getz anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, but like you have these people trying to carry the Trump torch and your Marjorie Taylor Greens and your Lauren Boeberts and your Jim Jordans. So and and Brian Kemp, who signed the most racist bill since the Jim Crow laws. Yep. So like so now I feel obligated to continue to expose these freaks. And, you know, so where I thought that we'd be done with Trump. And that it'll all go away. Unfortunately, Bob, because you got your Mitch McDickless and, you know, and, you know, Grandma Lady G and and all these other people mm -hmm. who still want to still think there is a, there is a, you know, financial benefit or a political benefit for preaching Trump hatred. Yeah. And it's a sad thing that's going on, Bob, which is why shows like ours mine stephanie's yours and you know hal and john fugel saying and dino badala i mean and you know among the many others you know i mean that's why we got to continue putting pressure on these people and getting our our viewers and listeners to support people like the midas touch brothers and, and the lincoln project and 
are really American because those guys are putting pressure on, you know, on, you know, on people like Georgia. Look, I thoroughly believe that Midas Touch owes, is owed a lot of credit for getting the two Democratic senators elected in Georgia. Yeah. Because they not only put out the ads and billboards, they put people on the ground to knock on doors. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just think it's it's all our obligation as Americans to, you know, you know, and together. And that's why I say all of our shows, you know, you know, regardless if we're friends or not, all of our shows should, you know, continue to put pressure on these right wing lunatics. It's so great to have your voice participating in all of this now, uh, John. It's really a, a refreshing point of view that I think is uh, important. Please keep going. Please keep fighting the good fight, my friend. Yeah, and you know, Bob, like, and the one thing I'll say, and as a credit to you and to Hal and all these guys, is that, like, when I have you guys on, like, I'm not ever going to attest to be, you know, the smartest man in the room. I'm... I have like I'm I'm confident of my intelligence, but I'm also confident in that I have the ability to want to learn. Mm -hmm. So I'll have you on or Hal on so you guys can teach me things that I don't know. Yeah. You know, and that's why I think that's the greatest part. You know, I think that is an important part about being a good interviewer is to be able to you know, learn from other people who mm. might have a different perspective and might have knowledge on topics that you aren't, you know, that aware of. And that's why, like, you know, I, I think that, you know, you know, my show has been successful because I listen to people. And yeah. I think that's the best part about being, you know, a, a host is to be a, a good listener. Yeah, you know, I would say, just looking in from the outside, of the lessons you brought with you from coming up through the Stern Show, I think the one that served you best, John, is your honesty. And that's so important. There are a lot of guys out there doing podcasts who are just supreme bullshitters who really don't know what they're talking about but pretend like they do. And you don't do that. And I think that's it's that honesty and the spontaneity and the realism that uh, you have carried forward with you from that time in radio. When, you know, of course, the environment on the Stern Show was all about being honest on the air, right? That was the vibe. And yep. uh, and you're doing that now with your show. And it's certainly, I think, uh, people are recognizing that. Yeah, and Bob, you know, I'll give you an example. I, and I know you want to end the show, but, and I'm sorry for talking too much. That's but, okay, man. Yeah, but like, and, and, and which brings me right into the topic I was going to mention, which is the filibuster. Now, I... You know, I'm not an expert on the filibuster. So what did I do? Mm. You know, I had Hal on. I said, Hal, explain the filibuster to not only me, but to my audience. Because you know what, Bob? Not everybody understands every aspect of the filibuster. And, you know, that's why I like that. I'll be able to, like, I'm not, I don't have such an ego that I can't ask that question. Please explain it at length so everybody could understand exactly what's going on. And that's, you know, and that's what I do, you yeah. know? Yeah. Very, very important. Again, the, the podcast is called the Stuttering John Podcast. You can also find John on Twitter at Stuttering John M. Gotcha. Thank only you. because some idiot took Stuttering John and would only give it back to me if I paid him ten grand. Oh Jesus Christ! Yeah, I'm just the person who has Bob Seska that Twitter account uh, hasn't used it since February of 2019. I'm just waiting for them to drop it for the same reason. Well, Bob, I'll 
I'll end this interview with a laugh. When I was at the Stern show, some somebody stole or took stuttering John stutteringjohn.com. Uh, so I contacted the guy and said, "Could you please give me back my, you know, name so I could have my own website?" And the guy said, "Well, do you have any money?" I said, "No." He goes, "Well, do you got, do you have any porn?" And I go, "Yeah, we got tons at the Stern show." He goes, "I'll come down to the studio. Give me a box of porn." <laughs> So I gave him a box of porn and he gave me my website back. Oh, holy shit. That is the that is a great story. That is the perfect story to end on. Thank you so much, my friend. I can't wait to be on your show again and we'll talk to you again real soon. All right. Thanks, Bob. Take care, John. Bye bye. <laughs>